except for the history you do not know. Welcome to the Sales History Podcast, bringing the brilliant and sometimes strange minds, methods, and ideas from the sales profession's past with applications to today. Here is your host, best-selling author of The Transparency Sale and The Transparent Sales Leader, keynote speaker, trainer, and nerd, Todd Capone. Welcome. Yes, welcome is correct. Welcome to the Sales History Podcast. And this week, we are going to dig into the history of email in sales and marketing and really how we ruined it. This actually came as a result of a request. So I was looking to potentially take a little bit of a break. I've got a lot going on. Business is good. And I was asked to participate in a conversation around the beginnings of spam and who sent out the first message and some of the details around that. I didn't know the details, so I dug in and I found a treasure trove of super interesting background about the history of email as a communication device, its revolutionizing of sales and marketing, and where it went wrong. And so today, what I want to do is I just want to take you through the timeline and highlight a couple of really interesting things along the way that... You know, maybe you'll win a trivia contest at a uh, event if you've got some of the answers to some of these things. But really, that timeline all the way to where we are today, where over 46% of emails that are still sent out are considered spam. So let's dig in. To begin, I mentioned that we ruined it again. And if you've been listening to other episodes, you know that. I have a belief that, you know, today they talk about the fact that we are in a sales and marketing technology revolution where every remaining crevice of the sales profession is being filled by technology. And I don't believe that to be a good thing, first of all. But second of all, a revolution? I mean, I would argue that the greatest sales technology revolution began in March of 1876 when Alexander Graham Bell made the first telephone call. I mean, by the 1910s, the telephone was revolutionizing sales outreach and communication, and it really didn't take us long after that for us to destroy this incredible gift. And by destroy, I mean we started to abuse it. It required technologies to be created to prevent salespeople from abusing it, and all the way to this idea that when that didn't work, the government had to get involved by creating 2003's Do Not Call Registry, which now has over 220 million phone numbers on it in the United States alone. I mean, Alexander Graham Bell would be probably rolling over if he really knew that. If we look at email, it took a similar path. I mean, it was an incredible gift given to the sales and marketing community. It was invented. It was abused. Technologies were created to prevent its abuse. And again, when that didn't work, the government had to step in again. So let's go on a little bit of a journey through a timeline. And this timeline is presented in great detail on my blog on toddcapone.com slash blog. Uh, the article is called The History of Email and Sales and Marketing. It's 2,700 words long, but it's a timeline filled with links and more details and pictures if you so desire to fulfill your nerdy uh, ways there. It was my outlet for all the research that I had found. So let's talk about the first messages. Back in 1969, the first message was sent between computers. And 
that actually happened in October 29th of 1969, where an individual named Leonard Kleinrock had sent a message to another system. And really what he was doing was he was trying to type in login. And the, the system at SRI, which was the Stanford Research Institute, was clever enough to fill out the rest of the command. And so what Leonard started to do was to type in the L. And so he types in the L. He's on a telephone, which he says, note the irony that here we are using the telephone network to launch the new technology of packet switching, which would destroy the telephone network. But he types in the L and then he asks, hey, Charlie, who was on the other end, did you receive the L? And he said, yes. Then he typed in the O. Did you get the O? And the answer was yes. And then when he went to type the G, the system crashed. However, the first word sent was low, and Leonard Kleinrock likes to joke that he's referring to, lo and behold, the first word that was sent electronically was supposed to be log to lead into login, but it was actually low. So there's your first message that was ever sent. That was 1969. Let's talk about the first networked email. And that one is credited in 1971 to a guy named Ray Tomlinson. And he was working as a part of the ARPANET system. Now, ARPANET, if you're curious as to what that meant, ARPANET was a large wide area network created by the United States Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. That's a mouthful, but that was called ARPA. And it was established in 1969, and it was serving as a testbed for new networking technologies, linking universities and research centers, the first of which were UCLA connected to the Stanford Research Institute, which is SRI, and then followed shortly thereafter, if you're curious, by the University of Utah. So Ray Tomlinson actually sent the first network email using the ARPANET system. The little interesting tidbit, and again, in the article, you can go into all the details, and I've got links to all kinds of stuff, but Ray Tomlinson also originated the at sign as a part of email addresses. As Ray was designing his early email programs, he realized that he needed something to separate the user's name from the host's name. And as the pioneer, he had the freedom to choose any key whatsoever on the keyboard. He chose the at because he believed it would never occur in a name, and thus the at sign was being separated. So my email address is tcapone at salesmelon.com. I'm talking about that at. You probably used that today. That was originated by Ray Tomlinson back in 1971. All right, let's talk about where all of this goes wrong. So in 1978, there was a guy named Gary Thurk. Now, Gary, he says he had problems reaching the ARPANET users on the West Coast. He was in Boston, and he wanted to invite them to see a demo of the DEC system new computers. He worked for DEC, and so he said, you know, since we were already emailing with some of the ARPANET users, we chose email to invite them to attend a demo of the first commercial computer to support the ARPANET. He didn't think it was a big deal, right? He says, I just wanted to show our product to the market. He goes on to say an interesting quote here that I think is really revealing. He says, that's where innovation comes. When people try to solve a problem, 
a lot of early adopters wrote history just by putting different existing technologies together. And they only did it because they wanted to solve a problem. It was the first and only time that I spammed and that was it. And of course, it didn't have anything to do with a scam. So Gary Thurk is referred to as the father of spam. And what's so interesting about it is it is said that it generated over $12 million in sales. Uh, unbelievable story, right? And he talks about the, in the interview that I was able to find that they had asked him, hey, what was the open rate? And he says, quote, there was no way to know the open rate, but he was guessing that there was about 200 read by the addresses. About 40 people came to the demos. That's a good response, right? He also mentioned, though, that no one could unsubscribe and that he did get a lot of complaints. However, the recipients that did open it, they actually forwarded the email to other ARPANET users. So the end, it was a pr pretty good result. He does go on to say that this email was a, quote, flagrant violation of the use of ARPANET as the network was only to be used for official U.S. government business only. And he jokes about the fact that the email was written in all caps, which is yelling by today's standards. So that was 1978, and that was a guy named Gary Thurk, who is considered the father of spam, and that first message generated $12 million in sales, right? A little bit different than we might find today. Now, there was a number of other milestones along the way, things like SMTP, which was developed in 1982, and essentially if you think what SMTP is, it's called Simple Mail Transfer Protocol. And it was really, really important because like, think about like a mail carrier. Every email message passes through the mail server before re reaching its destination. Now, without SMTP in these servers, you would only be able to send emails to people whose addresses matched your domain. Like the ARPA, everybody had the same domain think today you can send it to Gmail and Yahoo and all over the place. SMTP made this possible and that was in 1982. Another fun little milestone along the way uh, is from Elwood Edwards and he recorded things like this. You've got mail. Now I found an interview with him in an old edition of Inside Edition. I don't know if you remember that show. I don't even know if it's still on, but Edward's wife worked for AOL and he was asked to record things like you've got mail and welcome and a couple of other famous phrases for AOL basically as a favor. He sat down with a cassette recorder in his living room and recorded these and was paid $200 for it. Now, as you go through this thing, Edward's was at last look was driving for uber and people said gosh like how much did you get paid like two hundred dollars wow they really screwed you well edwards seems like the most like positive guy in the world and he talks about the fact that aol took really good care of him in other ways during that period and he's super grateful for them but that's another little trivia question for you elwood edwards recorded aol's you've got mail along with those other quotes in 1989 Let's keep going. A couple other things that I just wanted to point out to you. Uh, things like in 1992, CompuServe, they introduced the first WYSIWYG editor for email, which included fonts. And WYSIWYG is what you see is what you get. And it included colors and emoticons. But the other piece of this is 
well before that, 1979, if you're curious who invented the emoticon, it was credited to a guy named Kevin McKenzie. And he had sent this in an email on April 12th of 1979, where McKenzie, he complained about the fact that with electronic communication, you really lose gestures and emotions and intonations. And he thought that one solution to the problem would be like putting in the symbol dash end parenthesis, which is a sideways smile at the end of tongue in cheek remarks. So he actually invented that 1979 Kevin McKenzie, and it eventually gave way to the smiley face icons and the other combinations of symbols that created little facial expressions. So that again is a little uh, fun fact for you. As we keep going here, you know, 1996 was when the first free webmail services were released. So things like Hotmail and Rocketmail, which later became Yahoo Mail. The word spam, made from pork shoulder and pork ham and other scraps from hogs. There is the canned meat, but also the word spam was made famous by Monty Python in scenes like this. I don't want any spam! Why can't you have egg, bacon, spam, and sausage? That's got spam in it! Not as much as spam, egg, sausage, and spam. <laughs> no, I don't like spam! Which was defined as electronic junk mail was added to the dictionary in 1998. The fun little spin on this was it was not actually applied when the the word spam came out to email, but it was actually applied to unwanted postings in newsgroup networks. Uh, there was one called Usenet where this guy Richard Depew accidentally posted 200 messages to a newsgroup. And in the aftermath, readers of the group were making jokes about the accident. And one person in it referred to the message as spam. And he literally coined the term that would later be applied to all similar incidents over email and then applied to the whole piece of unwanted marketing. So let's go forward there. Before I do, just a quick note, um, 1999, if you're really looking for when the world started to recognize that this was becoming a huge problem, Seth Godin released the book Permission Marketing. And that defined ethical email marketing. It was considered really important text at the time and that Godin believed that consumers should have the ability to choose how they're marketed to versus it being forced upon them. When consumers agree to receive marketing emails, marketers are better able to understand and cater to their interests. Now, he wrote that book because it was becoming a big problem. And later, that book served as a big impotence behind what came out in 2003. And in 2003 was when the Can Spam Act was signed by George W. Bush, establishing the rules for commercial email in the United States. Now, that name, Can Spam, in case you're curious, uh, the acronym is Controlling the Assault of Non-Solicited Pornography and Marketing Act of 2003. It played on the word canning, which was to put an end to spam as in the usual term for unsolicited email of this type. Now, it was not designed to only apply to bulk email. It was really designed to cover all commercial messages. And the, the, the law defines it as any electronic message, the primary purpose of which is the commercial advertisement or promotion of a commercial product or service. Now, if you go through it, 
I, you look at the, the seven rules that were laid out in the Can Spam Act. I mean, I see these things being violated every single day today. My, I'll show you my inbox if you'd like. Just to quickly rattle off what these seven were. Number one was don't use false or misleading header information. So you're from, you're to, you're reply to should be from the person. We see that deception happen all the time. Number two, don't use deceptive sub subject lines. The subject line must accurately reflect the content of the message. Uh, no, I don't think we're still doing that e either. So can spam, it's not really helping. Number three is you need to identify the message as an advertisement. Number four is that you are required to tell recipients where you're located. So you'll see on any marketing email that there's a valid physical postal address. That's a requirement. And then there's also number five, the requirement that you need to make it very clear to recipients how they can opt out of receiving future email from you. So you'll always see the unsubscribe link and there's some specific elements of what that needs to look like and how many clicks it can take for you to unsubscribe. Number six is how quickly you need to handle and honor those opt-out requests. So there's rules and laws around that. Number seven is that essentially you're responsible for monitoring what others are doing on your behalf. So it just makes clear that even if you hire another company to handle your email marketing, you can't contract away your legal responsibility to comply with the laws. All right, so that was the Can Spam Act of 2003. And a couple of things uh, in February of 2005, guy named Anthony Greco. He has the honor of being the first person to be arrested under the Can Spam Act of 2003. He pled guilty. He was sentenced. I don't know what the stipulations of the sentence were. And then if we move forward, it took until 2004 for Canada to enact their anti-spam legislation. It was called CASL. But the bottom line here is clearly we still have a long way to go. There was a reason this was put all in place. Right, and it was welcome to the consumers, but yet we all still spam like nobody's business. And I think we need to rethink that and get back to our communication as, hey, we're communicating with other human beings. In 2021, it was estimated that there were still over 320 billion emails sent and received daily. 320 billion. And as of December of 2021, a study from MailMoto talks about the fact that over 45% of the total emails were still deemed as spam emails. So that is your little history lesson for today on the history of email as it relates to sales and marketing and some of the little facts and nuggets that go along the way that I find interesting. And again, that's kind of the purpose of the Sales History Podcast is to share some of the research that I'm finding through the questions that I get asked. So for you, if you've got questions, things that you want to dig into, let me know. Like once I get triggered, I can't wait to dig in more and find all of the details and research around it. So I welcome that. Again, my email address direct is tcaponi at salesmelon.com. But as always, I so appreciate you listening. And if you love it, review it and share it with your friends because this is my outlet. I don't get paid to do this. This is purely a hobby and I enjoy sharing this stuff with you. So thanks again and goodbye.